0: Katie, Katie, let it out with Katie. Let it out with Katie Dalebout, enthusiast and curator of people and ideas. You need to hear. Welcome back to the podcast. You are listening to Let It Out with me. I'm your host, Katie Dalebout. And today on the podcast, I have Dr. Samantha Boardman, and I recorded this episode a couple weeks ago in person at her office, and it was one of the most pleasurable experiences of recording a podcast of my life. We talked for almost two hours about everything I love talking about, all of the big questions, her story, and she's just a really lovely, smart, wise woman who can recall quotes and studies with immediacy, basically, and I just liked everything about her. I'm going to be very quick in this intro because I want to get right to it, but she also is the founder of this website called Positive Prescription, which is all about making life a little bit better with minor tweaks and changes that are life enhancing and resistance building. And What I love about it is it focuses on building what's strong, not fixing what's wrong. And it's all science-based and research-driven and actionable and productive and digestible. And I just love it. So check out her site, Positive Prescription. Get obsessed with her. I can't say enough good things about her, but I don't need to say anymore because you're going to hear me talk to her for two hours in a second. Anyway. I love you guys. I hope you guys are doing great. Thank you, as always, for listening. If you're new, I'm so glad you found the podcast welcome. I talk to people that inspire me every single week, and it's my favorite thing I've ever done. Before we get into the episode, quick announcement. I'm doing a live podcast episode and podcast listener meetup. In Williamsburg, Brooklyn, at my favorite little coffee shop, the home of the Unicorn Latte, the original Unicorn Latte, The End. And that is on the 24th of August at 6 30. So you can come get a latte, and then we'll start recording the podcast around 7. So I'll put the link to that in the show notes. No tickets, just come hang out. It'll be really fun. And before we get to the episode, Let's talk about the sponsors. I'm so grateful for Nudu. It's one of my favorite natural skincare lines. They're great, you guys. You can tell that they use the best quality ingredients by the way the products feel on your skin. Nothing artificial, everything is natural, and it feels like you have a facial every time you use their products. They smell great. They're even in small bottles, so they're great for traveling. That's N U D U. And since you're a listener of the podcast, you can get 20% off your order. That's 20% off by using the code Let It Out at Checkout. So, Let It Out at Checkout gives you 20% off your order. This episode is also brought to you by one of my favorite companies right now, Lbox, which is changing the way you experience your period. So, you might be really conscious about what you're putting in your body or what you're putting on your body. You're probably using nudu, skincare, right? What about what you're putting in your vagina? It's really important that you think about that because traditional tampon brands are really toxic. They use chemicals and dyes and our vaginas are the most porous places on our body. And so they pick up all of that. So it's really important to use organic cotton. And what L-Box does is it ships you 100% organic cotton, nothing else, no toxins, no dyes, no synthetics, and they deliver them to you right to your door at a super low cost. And it's not just tampons. They deliver you pads or whatever it is that you prefer to use for your period. And it's not even just the products that you need. It's also things that can make you experience that time of the month in a more pleasurable way. So they include teas and chocolates and things that can make your experience of your period way better so i love them they're great you can never run out of tampons they're just there for you because you have L box, and it's the best i love them but here's the thing i really love about them they also have a box for first periods and this might be a great gift to give to a neighbor or a young friend or a niece or anyone you know that is about to experience their first period I know that that time can be really scary and you might not know what's going on. And there's this actually this crazy statistic that 47% of girls don't actually know what's happening when they get their first period. So Lbox has this great first period box that has items that will make them experience their period better and easier and also an educational guide that allows them to know what's actually going on with their body and celebrate it and not be scared of it. So anyway, check out LBOX for yourself, for a friend, for a young friend. They're fantastic. And I really, really think they're great. And you might as well check them out because LBOX is offering listeners a free first-time box. So you might as well take advantage of that. Go to lbox.com slash katie and enter katie at checkout. That gives you your free box so you get to try it and see how great they are all for yourself. Thank you so much, LBOX. Thank you, Nudu. Thank you for listening. And enjoy this episode with Dr. Samantha Boardman. Before I get into all of my copious notes on you and positive prescriptions and your work and your past and your future, I've been really liking starting the podcast in the present. Mm -hmm. So what has been fascinating you? What have you been thinking about? What have you been contemplating? What have you been realizing in the past day even or week or... Month, but very recently. Recently,
1: I've been super focused on it's something just like sparks something for me, and I've been really interested in some daily stuff. Mm. And it's um, I really started with a patient looking at kind of daily sort of like the daily things because of the people come and see like a, a psychiatrist. It's sort of an inflection point, and there's in between yeah. something, or they've got something going on that really like makes them show up. But then you realize it's sort of in their daily moments or their micro moments or the decisions or the interactions that can either sort of be enhancing or diminishing in these like little micro ways. Mm-hmm. And so that's become something I've been really focused on recently, like it's not necessarily these big boulders that are going to kind of squash you, it's, it's the pebbles you know, the kind of just the barrage of that stuff. And the, the so I've been diving into some of that like resilience research and of, of, you know, like when the big bad stuff happens, the ability to bounce back. And people are unbelievably resilient, it turns out. Like actually far more than we ever dreamed of and, and far more than psychiatrists really allow for. You know, the idea that, that you know, if you've got somebody who's, Who's actually adjusting after the death of a loved one, or like a spouse, or like after something really traumatic's happened? You know, you would almost raise eyebrows. You know, if you've got a, a widow who's who's maybe, God forbid, smiling at the funeral. You know, you think, well, what's wrong with her? Like that heartless, yeah. cold woman. Or she, she either didn't love him enough. You know, trust her, or it's like a delayed reaction. And she yeah. will be, you know, pr- you know, she, she's in denial around something, right. or um. You know, so we this sort of discomfort with people expressing any kind of positive emotion around things, and the idea is that, like, people always needed an intervention. Like, you need to talk about it. You need, right. uh, you know, even after something happens, like, after 9-11, or, you know, there's been some sort of trauma, people giving out their cards, like, you need to talk it through, like some kind of counseling. And it turns out people are unbelievably resilient in those situations, and after 9-11, there was, as I just looked at the studies, that's why you're asking me about, yeah. like, some sort of recent things, is... The expectation was that, like, this huge chunk of New Yorkers would go on to have PTSD, and they didn't. There was even funding for it, and they just didn't. And part of that, you know, around those sort of, those bigger sort of traumatic um, experiences is there is a collective, like, there seems to be the social support, even, like, you see it, like, on... On Twitter, or even after, like, Hurricane Sandy, like, there's support, there's outpourings of love. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons that, like, sometimes the daily stuff is harder because nobody's going to be, like, bringing you a casserole because yeah. you had a long commute. Like, right. no one cares, you know? Like, you can't be like, oh, I had, you know, or there are people who do complain about that. But you're actually kind of driving people away from you. That kind of vanilla, you know, Ah, oh, the train, you know, was broken, and then this happened, you know? There's there's like daily things that barrage if there's like hassles, there's no outpouring of social support for yes. that. Like you don't get the casserole. So yeah. that's a long winded
0: answer. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, we'll get right into your story, but first we have to just like flush this out a little bit more because I've been thinking about this a lot too, because you're just I intuitively feel that in my own life. Like the like you said, the pebbles instead of the boulders yeah. being the things that I can't handle, like I just moved, which was like a big life thing, and people were, um, you know, I've never lived outside of Michigan, I moved to New York City, big deal, very exciting, and people were, you know, constantly like, oh, are you okay, are you homesick, and I'm like, totally good, totally fine, it's the like, weird little, you know, conversation with someone, or like the weird text message that really takes me out, and nobody's asking me if I'm okay from that. Right, right.
1: It's it's funny that like and that we don't really focus on that, and you know, because even increasingly, I've, I've realized I I really like do get patients who are just having kind of who aren't even having necessarily the boulder hit them, but just like overwhelmed, like that walk game, mm-hmm. you know. And I just gave a talk the other day, and I asked like you know people like, does anyone feel like they're playing a game of walk mole here? And like everybody's like, yes, like just this nonstop barrage of. Of, of like fires they're putting out in yeah. all you know in so many different domains and like you look at the everyday kind of stressors it's it's scheduling it's you know appliances it's like you know losing your phone like that's yeah. like a huge top like stressor or um commutes a big one too I mean, you know that's like a really tough one yeah. but the thing that seems to really be that kind of thorn in somebody's side that really can kind of you know, put your day and cast that shadow on mm-hmm. it is like an argument with a loved one mm-hmm. so it's like the opposite of the casserole like it mm-hmm. is that argument with somebody who you care about like your significant other a parent or a good friend like a really good friend like a sort of distant yeah. friend or colleague a little less like it seems mm-hmm. to but that's sort of the, the, the thing that can really sort of take away and sort of be that corrosive yeah. like sort of thing in your day and undermining so I'm really interested in like what are the daily things that we can do to kind of help us have like a little art resilience like that yeah. daily stuff that we can do to help us feel strong within our stress and feel good about the stuff that's um you know as best we can in, in
0: some way so what are some of those things that you do in your own life for the pebbles or that you prescribe to your patients it's <laughs>
1: I think there's a lot of overlap, you know? I mean, I think gone are the days of, you know, like, oh, I am this blank slate, you know, as a psychiatrist. But there is a lot, and this maybe goes back to um, sort of some of those things in positive psychology that I've learned that I didn't learn anything about in medical school at all. You know, I got really good at misery. Like, I could be like, you've got problems, let me kind of try to deal with them, and let me try to, to dial down that misery. But... I think one of the best tools that I've found to be helpful for people is kind of what I call, like, being on you. Like, people keep saying today, like, be yourself all the time, and it's, it's, wait, what if, like, I know my knee-jerk reaction is this, but what if I do this instead? Like, what if, you know, I, I want to sort of order a tuna melt and, like, drink a milkshake and eat that thing of cookies in front of me because I'm having really, in a bad mood, but you know, what's the opposite thing? How can I even be un-me in this moment? Because sometimes when we are ourselves, people keep telling us to be ourselves. It's not the best advice when we're not at our like at our best. Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes doing the opposite and then there is some research and it's called like, the opposite action and, in, in a form of therapy and just doing the opposite because it just sort of opens up, like there's that crack in the door of like, wait, there are more options available. Yeah. I don't have to do that knee-jerk response. Like if, if, you know, you grew up and when you were 15 years old and your parents, whenever they were having a huge fight, you know, you would run into your room and close the door and put a pillow over your head, like maybe that was helpful then, but if you're doing that now in your relationship, you know, and you're just kind of becoming avoidant yeah. and running away from it and kind of putting that metaphorical kind of pillow over your ears, maybe that's not helpful now. Yeah. So kind of waking up to some of those, maybe those patterns, those routines, those those things that have become like, who you think you are, mm-hmm. and they don't have to be, and so when you can sometimes do things, I think it's really liberating, and it gives you much more of, like, a flexible approach to to different situations, and not basing everything then off the past, or your habit, or patterns, or routines that, that you know so well, and it, it's really, I think, liberating to be on you, like, push yourself, do things that scare you a little bit, you know, or that, that can get you out of that that sort of you know like that's me I would never do that sometimes I'll be patients like oh oh that's just not me no that's not me that's not me it's like that's that's it's not like this is conflicting with your core values yeah. Like this is a choice you're making like let's just be clear here this is a choice you're making and so uh, sometimes like we you know we, the point of psychiatry sometimes people think is like this sort of deep dive into oneself and to figure out who you are and Sometimes our best inspiration is, is actually other people, like role models, and people yeah. who who um, you know, people you know and who you don't. You know, yeah. there's like maybe somebody who uh, an uncle or um, you know a friend's parent or who can just give you like like what would this person do in this situation? Mm-hmm. And Angela Duckworth, who's at the University of Pennsylvania, does all the work on grit. She has a paper coming out soon on um, on. On on grit and asking students and also adults to, they're doing some math questions and some of them are asked to look at a, you know, think about somebody who's grittier than you are and think about who that person is and then they're given these math questions or another group is asked just think about somebody whose name begins with the letter A and the people who think about somebody who's grittier than they are are much more likely to persist and mm. you know, do the those math questions. So I love this idea of like emulating people yeah. who you admire. And there was a cool study in England about a class who had met Michelle Obama when they were like 13 or something. Right. And it was a group of young girls. And you know, she stood up in front of them in like 2008 or whatever and it was unbelievably inspiring. It was this incredible moment was like you know I got here I'm here today because of I've worked my tail off don't let anyone tell you education's not cool yeah. like, you guys have to do this she saw them again like two or three years later and that class compared to all of the other classes above and below and even this across I think across England did so much better and the only thing I mean maybe there's some other great explanation they called it the Michelle Obama effect that like this inspiration so cool And I think we can find, like, even in characters in novels, you know, or in movies. I once saw Tom Hanks speak about the movies and the power of film and how it is that funny moment where you just think, wait a minute, maybe I can get, you know, what would I do in that situation? Even if it's, like, an android or, you know, some, like, you know, you're watching Star Wars, like, to get you out of yourself. Anything, I think, any opportunity to kind of get out of your own head, Is really valuable rather than kind of diving in and that Mm. kind of self reflection, soul searching, because that can really shut us off from like all the good stuff that's out there. So to sometimes go against your grain, get out of your own head. And so I've been trying to think of like different ways you can do that. And I think other people can help Mm -hmm. you do that. We were just talking about phones too. I mean, phones get you so deep inside yourself. Yeah and it seems to be there's this revolving door between um, people and I think we feel kind of lonely actually when we've had these really tough days and then you're on your phone and then you come home and you're like sort of like in a bad mood and that can be contagious and then that can, it seems that that it can kind of make us then more like self-centered also and I find like when I'm walking down the street even if I'm on my phone I don't realize how self-centered I'm being, you know, in in some way and like wait a minute that, you know would it is there like an elderly lady who maybe is nervous because yeah. I'm not kind of walking on a straight line and how am I then being inconsiderate so I think in our it like blocks our empathy almost entirely and I think that completely like makes us so and where the self-centeredness kind of then contributes to a sense of loneliness even like an emotional loneliness yeah. that maybe you live with somebody or you have a lot of friends but that kind of emotional isolation and so what can we do to counteract that and I think really optimize our interactions with people and um you know in positive psychology it's a big thing about like your relationships it's people just don't have good relationships like they work on them they put effort into them it's like the the daily effort you put into giving somebody the benefit of the doubt making an effort saying something nice Mm -hmm. looking for something positive about them you know letting even them be on them like if you're trying to be on yourself like don't be a know-it-all, you don't know, I think sometimes we can predict things about people, like, oh, I know that colleague of mine, here they go again, they're going to do that thing, or here this, you know, my significant other is going to do, you know, he's going to read the paper and then do this or whatever, and like, yeah. wait a minute, give them the opportunity also, mm-hmm. it's so liberating, you thing. know, yeah. like, let them be on them, let you be on you, and it's just far more open-minded, Yeah. I think. so... I maximize these interactions and maybe you and Dan spoke about it but also that like that active constructive responding
0: mm-hmm.
1: when you instead of like in, in medical school they in psychiatry residency they taught us how in couples therapy you know, people couples come in like you've got to learn how to fight better like don't say something nasty about his mother and you know his mother or like you know say something like you know don't don't be fight nice yeah. And um, actually, like research suggests that it's really not how you fight; it's really a resolve conflict. It's much more like how you like respond to one another's good news, you know, mm-hmm. and like making an effort, you know, to, like if somebody says, like, you know, hey, did you read this story? Did you see this in the newspaper? Look what just happened around this or that. You give them your full attention. You pay attention, in like just three words: just say, "Tell me more." It's all it takes, rather than even like sort of like oh really like scrolling through your phone Mm -hmm. like guess what happened to me today or you know where should we have dinner you know this that like tell me more you know I want to hear it show them interest like that kind of thing I think really matters so I'm really interested in how do you make the effort it seems like couples who do stick together and actually have joyful you know enduring meaningful connections seem to give each other that time and that effort that they put in and they look up when yeah. the other person's kind of trying to get their attention, yeah. they listen, they don't, there's that, not that one-upmanship in any way, and I think that's, and there's the benefit of the doubt, you know, like, if he's always leaving the, like, wet towel on the ground, then, you know, that doesn't mean he's a terrible person, or doesn't care about you, just, like, maybe stick the hamper right there, yeah. you know, like, what are these, like, little behaviors you could do to, you know, it's, at the end of the day, there's sort of storms in a teacup that don't matter, that much and not just I think with our loved ones but also our interactions with our colleagues Um, having knowing somebody has your back is huge but you have to make that effort you know and do it and even I was looking at a study in this daily interaction stuff about interacting with strangers Mm -hmm. you know having a looking the person in the eye who you buy your coffee from in the morning, thank you, rather than, like, looking down at your phone and getting lost in that productivity porn. Yeah. You know, like, actually, like, thank you, have a good day too. Yeah. Those little micro moments where you would... Connect with somebody, even if it's superficial, you're more likely to go on to have a better day. It'll put you in a better mood. Yeah. And we forget that. And in New York, maybe it's really weird to tell people to talk to strangers, but it yeah. seems that even people like on trains, yeah. can talk to the person next to them rather than like being efficient, getting all their stuff done and sending all their text messages or emails. Maybe it's better to be a little bit less efficient,
0: ultimately, and a little bit or more even connected. More. Like, I oh, yeah something i've been thinking about that a lot and i've just been hearing people talk about the importance of boredom has that been anything that you've read about or something that's been lost in our society now
1: i'm fascinated by that question and it seems you know even the idea of like looking out the window of a train you know or just like instead of i think we're really afraid to be alone with our thoughts Mm -hmm. i remember once getting on a plane and realizing i didn't have the new yorker with me and like that Panic, Like, oh, no, what am I going to do for the next four hours? You know, I just was, like, planning on going through all the, like, my stacks of New Yorkers. Yeah. And that, that fear and dread of being, like, sort of in your own head yeah. in a way and how healthy it is. And there's so much research around, like, kind of breakthroughs occur, you know, when you're bored. And I really prescribe even, you know, people's, like, spending time in nature. Take your, like, don't listen to music. Or a podcast. Go yes. into a book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But China maybe your pod. podcast. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> With one exception. But the idea of like just be be there and just there's something so therapeutic about being in nature. Yeah. People call it like nature deficit disorder, like nobody mm-hmm. spends time in nature anymore. Mm-hmm. But just being there and letting your mind wander and having even if you have to schedule it, which sounds sad, but I think you do, of just time where you're just gonna let your thoughts go in yeah. some way. And I think it's like sort of speaking to this, you know, why people are are like turning to meditation right now or even the popularity of spinning for example i I think is kind of partly due to it's one of those few moments where people's like bodies and minds are one Mm -hmm. and even for that 50 minute class they're not on their phone their minds aren't going anywhere they're just like in their own bodies and it's sort of when you're one with the music that experience of being in flow in some way is really important you get it when you're being creative Mm -hmm. too i've talked a lot about flow flow is really important, that sort of, that sense when you just, you lose a sense of time, you sort of, and it's obvious with like an artist who's maybe creating something, and then, you know, 12 hours have passed, and they're still in their studio, and they realize mm-hmm. they've forgotten to eat, and that type of thing, but I think we did have more moments of that, being athletic is also, I think, like a place where you can find flow, or in nature, but when you're so interested, and, and drawn into something, that you lose time, and I think that that is this sort of, Secret of wellness and people who take care of themselves seem to find that in some way. And I tell me what you think about this. I'm fascinated by this idea of hobbies that nobody seems to have them anymore. Yeah, and it's like something people have in school they like do extracurricular stuff and then they do their job and then they you know maybe work out, but they're just when you do something it's purely for the love of the game like there's just that you do it because you love it it's really therapeutic yeah. that if it's even needle pointing or you know i feel like an old librarian when i say it i'm like oh do you collect
0: stamps to yeah. <laughs> or something i feel like people are always trying to especially with the internet are trying to monetize their hobby so maybe yes. they have a full-time job but they're also a graphic designer but that's like a freelance thing they do on the side or maybe they also do needlepoint but they have a etsy shop to sell it so it's it's still kind of another business, or right. even like for me, like this is a hobby for me, but it's also kind of my job, even right. though it doesn't feel like that. And I'm just having a conversation and letting other people eavesdrop, but it's still something I do as a career path. So I think it's like the line between hobby and monetization, or even just sharing your hobby. Yeah, even if you're not trying to monetize it, but you're instagramming it or you're i don't know it's that's an
1: interesting question though I, I, it's that maybe you, you're sort of when your lifestyle is your hobby right. in some way does it affect it yeah. um i do think though that the, the the maybe it's important there to have something that is really outside of that maybe that is what I seems agree. more vocational because it, it's an opportunity to maybe be just creative. And then often, like, you, you look at these studies of, like, Nobel Prize winners. I mean, obviously these are, you know, in the sciences. And they seem to, you know, they'll play the piano. They did watercolor. Like, they, they did something yeah. that maybe, like, their brain they were using in a different but somehow complementary mm-hmm. way that enabled them, I think, to... to, to put the brain they're using on hold but it wasn't like it was you know shutting it down it was just kind of activating in a different way that maybe is a is a brain exercise so even I think people can come in they're so overwhelmed and I'm trying to like prescribe hobbies these days like maybe like what could you do outside of because even if it is the thing you love to do your vocation you love your job it also maybe it's if that's where like your head is 90 percent of the time that maybe it would be really helpful to have something that's outside of it Mm -hmm. and to kind of complement
0: it yeah you've touched on so many things that I had in my notes like the being on you is Uh, something I heard you speak about a while ago that just went right in you know how sometimes people say a concept that just like goes right in and that was so helpful to me so I'm glad you discussed that already and I think it's so true with that other piece that you added to it today that I hadn't heard about before when allowing other people to be on them. And I know I do that with my mom all the time where I'm expecting her to react in a certain way and I'm not giving her the space to react differently. And usually I'm right, but I'm not (laughs) even giving that space. So I think that's a really valuable one. And then what you were saying a little bit later about how people are so afraid to be alone with their own thoughts and in their own mind I wrote this down to ask you about too but my I wrote a book about journaling that came out Mm -hmm. in 2016 and I think journaling is such a tremendous tool because it forces you it's very uncomfortable for people to be alone with themselves Mm -hmm. and it can almost be like self therapy or it can almost be like you know a time where you do this self inquiry just like meditation or spinning or you know walking without a podcast in and I want to know what you think about that. Is journaling something that you've ever done personally, or is it something that you prescribe to your clients? It's so helpful, and there's been all that great research, and Dr.
1: Pennebaker's research on looking at, you know, just the therapeutic nature of journaling and how helpful it can be. And I have to say, I've only done it more as when I I did a, I did a master's degree at the University of Pennsylvania in positive psychology, and it was hard for me to do it unless I had almost, you know, it's... A a you know, I I Um, had a deadline and um, I had the deadline was kind of important for me, even though it's sort of for me even joining a book club like I know there are a lot of books I'll just read anyway but it's sort of like getting me to do something like what's that little extra like nudge Mm -hmm. that people need you know like there's a lot of stuff like we know what's right we just don't do it (laughs) you know and I'm always fascinated by that disconnect kind of how can you like lower the bar and I think it's different for all of us also and we you know I'm interested in this concept of motivation around doing things that we know are healthy and then yet we sort of forget um and and how we can do that there are a bunch of ways that i'm super interested in kind of making the you know healthier choice or the better choice the easier one and like Mm -hmm. the one that you the go-to one rather than the one that feels like you've got to climb a mountain to get over yes exactly like just make it easy um But the idea of journaling I think is really helpful for the right person and also because sometimes I think people can tend to ruminate a little bit like mm-hmm. if it's somebody who's in a very dark place and if then like without a prompt without um, the prompts I think are very helpful you know writing about like you at your best something like mm-hmm. that is so great for people to kind of tap into that strength of, of like you know wait or you know an aspirational one mm-hmm. um, or they you know what they're grateful for but it can be, I think, without the prompts and if somebody who doesn't have that sort of internal sort of ability to kind of create that structure for themselves, it can, I think, you know, all, all things can, yeah. um, all interventions can actually end up being sort of more ruminative and mm-hmm. distressing. But... I think when you have those prompts and you're, you're you're sort of doing it in a much more positive way, it can be unbelievably helpful. And I, I've, I've loved doing it. And I think the best thing about journals is looking back at the things you wrote. It's almost like reading a book and you look back at, at you know, the things that you underlined, because I still read paper books, um, yeah. you know, like the, the actual book. Like the things that I underlined when I read it and that I thought were really important then, you know, and then I, you read it again, and you're like, "Wait, that's not important. This is." Yeah. And I think we're sort of it's again like it sort of speaks to how we really change too. It's like these myths, like mm-hmm. "Oh, I am who I am," or people don't really change. But like even we witness ourselves changing all the time, yeah. and yet are so, you know, our imagination's so limited about the person we still can become, and we're still so stuck in sort of you know, oh, "This is who I am," and sometimes don't recognize like how much we've changed over the course of three years yeah. or five years or even six months, and. This unbelievable ability to change. So I love how journals do that. Mm-hmm. Like you get this like perspective, and I always read like David Sedaris. Um, he 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 has a new book out on yeah, his journals. Yeah, I read it on fresh air. It's funny, and it's just like, and he also would just write down what happened, like yeah. not necessarily like emotionally attached to things. And I've really tried to do that too. It's it's yeah. a great, I think it's a really great exercise yeah. though with the prompt.
0: Yeah, and one of my favorite movies. There's there's this line where. He says, every one of the characters says, every five years he realizes how much of an asshole he was five years ago. <laughs> I like, clockwork. He's like, and it's so true. Like, I think we change so quickly, especially like in our 20s. Like, I look back at where I was three years ago or a year ago, even, and it just seems like night and day. Yeah. And I think that's just going to keep happening more and more and more. Yeah. And, and like, having insane. compassion of like, that's so who I was then. Yeah. And not like judging it is hard but
1: no and like these are kind of multiple selves we can become yeah. and I mean I think we're all capable of being like you know then we look back and like with that cringe worthy, like oh gosh who yeah. was I like how did I think that way or that was so unkind and it's often I think those failures of kindness that you know that I have regretted ever too like I can't believe I wasn't sort of more generous in spirit or I didn't show up to something yeah. you know in some way like that's what mattered and and being able to learn from that, and I think being able to like reflect on mm. that, and uh, and and also then imagine a different kind of future. And this, I I always love this old psychiatrist once had said to me, like, what do you think the point of therapy is? And I said, well, you know, obviously, it's you can change your future. And he said, no, no, it's you can change your past, mm. and it's kind of about letting go of the story we tell about ourselves. You know, that like. This happened to me, and then I was yeah. raised here, and you know I didn't get along with this person, or you know I had a my parents were difficult, and sort of recognizing that there's there's truth, but what type of a truth in that, and just sort of letting go of the stories we tell about ourselves and others that yeah. are just part of a truth at some point in our lives, and I think almost being able to reevaluate. The past helps you kind of, it opens up the future. And yeah. I always loved that kind of metaphor, and I yeah. thought it was really important.
0: Okay, so speaking about the past, I want to get into your past a bit. So where did you grow up? Did you grow up in New York?
1: Yes, I, I really was raised in New York, and oh, cool. uh, I went to school here. In the city? In the city. Cool. What
0: was that like growing up in the city?
1: It was a really different place, and but I wouldn't go to high school here. I went to a boarding school in New Hampshire that was a you know, out of the city, freezing cold, mm-hmm. and I was up there for a few years and loved that. It was really probably therapeutic to get out of the city. I worked so hard. I was always one of those like kids who was in the library, like working my tail off, super stressed out. Um, I graduated from high school a year early and just was high strung like sort of super like needed to achieve everything I'll sleep when I'm dead kind of mindset and it kind of caught up with me you know at some point I just kind of wanted I just just sort of kept seeing goals and wanting to kind of push past them then it was never enough to kind of exhale Mm. and you know sort of think like is this really what I want like is this who I am is this sort of you know healthy and and it took me a long time to kind of figure that out and to did come you up know for air. You wanted to
0: be a therapist. When did you? No, you know, know I was in college
1: studying history, and I really became interested in the history of science. And because people always think about science as being, you know, somewhat um, objective, and and I love when you sort of look at the questions people are asking in science. It's always embedded in sort of culture, you know, sort mm-hmm. of what's going on and oh, the. the awesome like socially what concerns are and I remember reading about this he was a doctor at Yale and it was right after World War II and he was a psychologist and biologist and he was studying aggression and why you know people like were fascinated by the root of evil in the brain and you know this is on the heels of World War II you know I think that this idea to identify like what is evil how can mankind be so evil and um And so I think that's why that kind of question was being asked. And he would do these unbelievably dramatic presentations uh, on the campus there with bulls he was researching aggression in bulls and instead of like using mice or monkeys or whatever people would use mm-hmm. he would dress up like a matador and have you know and, and holding sort of you know like a red cape and he would do these dramatic presentations with these electrodes he would implanted in the bulls brains to sort of see cool. it, like oh you press this to make them sort of calmer or you press this they'll become right. more aggressive but this idea of sort of looking for aggression that was the question that they were ans- among many other psychiatrists were psychologists were asking at the time like how can man be so evil Um, and you know where is it in the brain that we can sort of find the root of this and let's look for it and rather than you know working in a in a lab with, you know, probably easier animals, the idea that they would do these unbelievably theatrical presentations of his research, I think, like, sort of underscores that overlap all the time of the questions scientists are asking. Um, you know, I think the emphasis on wellness today has a lot to do with, you know, people feeling kind of overwhelmed mm-hmm. and unwell and not necessarily... It a There's so many people today who they're not quite meeting the diagnosis for, like, the criteria for diagnosis of depression or anxiety, but they're they're certainly unfulfilled. Yeah. They're sort of at that, that sub-threshold. Um, you know, It's they're wildly you know, busy and they've got these really full schedules, but they're really unfulfilled and kind of looking for something beyond that. And I think that's a big question, even that psychology turned to positive psychology, looking for you know it's not just about mental health isn't just about like the absence of illness like there is Mm -hmm. more to life and it's far more nuanced than I think any of us that I
0: that I was ever taught about. So you're researching the history of science and you're in college and then when do you turn to wanting to study psychology? It was then when I was in um I was in in college and then
1: I I realized you know it was one of those sort of things I grew up at a time when when girls weren't automatically go, like majoring in the sciences and the, the I knew of in my peer group yeah. at all so you know I thought maybe I'd go work in a bank or I'd go into fashion and then uh, it was again like it was like sp- a nudge by a friend of mine who was a biology major in college and she was like, you can go to medical school. You know, come on. It never crossed my mind as even like the realm of possibility. And so then I started taking biology and chemistry and I applied to medical school and I first worked in a lab at um, Memorial Stone Kettering looking at cell systems. Mm-hmm. Cool. I went to Cornell that is not in Ithaca. It's the one over by um, New York Hospital on 68th in New York. So I did medical school there and, um, and I loved people's stories. And I felt like for me, psychiatry was great because it sort of was this wonderful balance of this intersection of the humanities and stories and narratives um, and sort of culture mm-hmm. with science in the brain and so it was a kind of wonderful marriage for me of the two so that's sort of what drew me into psychiatry so I was there for four years and actually eight years four years of medical school
0: four years of residency and I've never left. Wow so you're practicing and you have this like thriving practice and then how long into that was when you decided to go back to school to UPenn to study again and learn about positive psychology? What was the impetus of that? It was just I was writing a lot of prescriptions, seeing a lot of overwhelmed
1: people, and you know, thinking there has to be more to this. And and at one point, I did get fired by a patient who a young woman I'd been seeing who who I thought I was making great progress with and who was coming to see me on a weekly basis for a few weeks and. I thought maybe she should take an antidepressant. She, you know, didn't feel like it. But we were sort of working on a lot of, like, her problems and issues. And one day she came in and told me that she just thought, you know what, every time I come to see you, I actually feel worse. All we do is talk about the stuff that's wrong in my life. And at the time, I kind of dismissed it. I was like, oh, you know, she just, you know, maybe she has a personality disorder I didn't, admit, you know, originally catch. But she was right. And it sort of woke me up to this... Sort of science, this whole field that I had no education in whatsoever in positive psychology that Marty Seligman had really kind of pioneered, and and looking at you know the science of health and wellness, and even people who can you can find wellness within their illness. And you know, for for, for me, I had this very sort of black and white binary idea about mental health. Like you were sick or you weren't sick. You know, there was, and maybe I could make you a little less sick, but. Thinking about cultivating any of these sort of positive qualities or skills or looking at anything was just, if anything, it was like the cream on the cake, like way down the line. It was so far from a priority. I never asked patients. Um, explicitly about, you know, in their first meeting with them, unless they had an eating disorder, I would never say, like, what do you really eat? You know, mm-hmm. or unless it, that was kind of, I would never ask them how many diet sodas they drank or how many white bagels they ate and at what time or how many, you know, candy bars or donuts. And I sleep, unless it was a problem, I wasn't really addressed. I mean, I would ask about sleep and I'd be like, oh, I sleep, you know, enough or whatever. I'm not really tired. It may be... Eight sessions later, you could maybe dig a little more into it, but it was never like an explicit, like upfront like discussion. Like you weren't looking at their life holistically, it was just one area of mental. What's level. the problem? Is you know, in, in in medicine we have this idea of what's the chief complaint. Mm-hmm. And the chief complaint is the 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 sort of what the in the patient's words in psychiatry like what the problem is, why they're coming in. You know, I'm depressed, I'm feeling down, I'm overwhelmed, something like that. And and, and treatment radiates out from that. So it's all very problem-based, very efficient. I mean, that's what we do. You know, the idea is to kind of try to minimize um, their misery or dial down their symptoms and get them what we would call back-to-baseline. The idea was always to bring people back to their baseline. Um, And if somebody was admitted to the hospital because they were really depressed or anxious, like, let's get them out back-to-baseline and send them on their way. And it was, you know, a really limited way of thinking about health. Like, back-to-baseline, like, what is that? You know, it's a kind of pretty minimal functioning, you know, in some way. And um, so it was... We, we would just focus on the sort of very basic things and sort of put Humpty Dumpty back together again and send them on their way and I think without teaching them some of the skills of wellness and health and those areas of like how do you connect with other people how do you cultivate that kind of social support um, and if anything, it was very self focused I think on on the individual too and not necessarily seeing them in the broader context of, of their life and who they interact with and their relationships and connections with others and also that there's this emphasis on on like you have to take care of yourself first I think in psychiatry and people always invoke that that analogy of like if you're on an airplane you have to put your own oxygen mask on first like take care of yourself first and while I agree with that in general I think it's almost been like we've almost overdone it so it's this idea that you like have to take care of yourself you know without, like, focusing on anything else. And so we're kind of maybe sometimes, I think, fueling a little bit of narcissism there, you know, and I've met some patients who get, who are so interested in their self-care yeah. that it's actually eclipsing some of their, like, those, like, you know, a, a patient who wouldn't go to a friend's birthday party because it wasn't at the vegan restaurant of her choice, yeah. you know, or, like, it wasn't, and you're like, wait a minute, that's when self-care has reached toxic levels. It's so good, yeah. It's just not like, when it's, like, your lifestyle, like, if it's interfering with your connections to other people, you know, like, maybe just don't eat as much, and eat beforehand, go be with your friends, yeah. celebrate
0: them. Or eat, and it will be fine.
1: And it's okay, and, you know, exactly, have a salad. Yeah. But it's, like, that idea that it's all about, kind of, you, and that you have to, you know, take care of yourself first, I think has almost just been, like, manipulated in a way that you. it's, like, I need to, at the expense of all else, and as much as we've talked about it, it's important i think to have a shoulder to lean on i think it's really important to always be a shoulder to lean on mm-hmm. to others so you have to you know we know even during like times of crisis actually that knowing that you're adding value you're helping yeah. somebody else is one of the greatest sort of i think places for us to draw strength from yeah and you know there's that saying i think it was umberto echo says like you know Nobody gives you courage like somebody else's fear. But the idea of you adding value is really, so good. really important. And, you know, don't put that oxygen mask on first. You know, unless you're in an airplane and you are, you know, the plane's going down, yes, because then you're going to, otherwise you're going to be unconscious. Right. But in, I think in most life circumstances, where can you... What can you contribute to? Where can you add value in these little ways without that self-focus? So I'm interested in ways of like, how do you get out of your own head rather than like diving in to, you know, that soul searching too much. I think you get out of your own head by, by, you know, having meaningful interactions with Mm -hmm. people. I think by adding value in some way, by actually... By getting out of your own head and like empathy. taking action, and these are all empathy-building things, yeah. you know that that you by doing things that are, um, I think, by kind of questioning your assumptions about others and about yourself, yeah. and don't find yourself, lose yourself, yeah. like lose yourself in a hobby and something this creative so and purpose and adding value and doing yeah. something for other people. Yeah, they were looking at. I was looking at a study before about you know. Um, young I think there were freshmen who had come out of some charter schools and who had no model of going to college in their own lives and they would gotten into college but you know they, they, they lacked that sense of belonging and the first time they got a bad grade or like a roommate didn't invite them out it's like you know that confirmation like I don't belong here yeah. and I think we're always really good whenever there's sort of ambiguous information we always interpret it in a negative way to confirm our bias like you see I know I didn't belong mm-hmm. here I got that d on that paper you know and that but asking those students to actually write a letter to potential incoming freshmen from their charter schools explaining their difficulties, their struggles, and what advice they would give them to help them was unbelievably helpful, not only for the incoming freshmen, but also for themselves. Mm-hmm. So that that's, like we are you know contributing adding value human beings like you, you you see those videos of like little one like one year old or even toddlers like i mean even younger like above crawling like little kids like a 10 months old and a stranger drops something like they waddle over and want to pick it up and give it back to them like that idea of I think we want to add value. Like, it's built into us. And to have been told then, like, you know, take care of yourself first, first always. Like, you've got to put yourself yeah. first. And we get this message all the time about, you know, you've got to be self-sufficient. I think especially as women, too. Mm-hmm. Don't rely on anybody. Be self. Like, that's, that's strength? And I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I think the idea of that kind of vulnerability, openness to others, you know, connecting with others. And also relying on others, but also having others rely on you mm-hmm. is really, really helpful.
0: Yeah. It's so great and timely that we're having this conversation about empathy right now and about this in particular because self-care I like it as much as the next guy but it's become such a buzzword right now and no one's talking about the other side of it and it, it makes me think of that Onsen Suzuki quote where he says when you're being helpless helps or when you're feeling helpless help someone and I think it's so true because, like you said, we're just ruminating on things in our head. And I know the thing that gets me out of my head when I'm really having trouble and struggling is thinking about someone else's problem or listening to someone else. That's, totally. That's the only thing that can take you out of it.
1: And like and feeling that you can like maybe do something or be helpful, yeah. that your experience, as tough as it might be in some way, could even be helpful you to still, someone else. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. that and we're... Uh, it was the Walt Whitman poem. Of sort of like, what's the point of life? I can't remember. it's like, he sort of, at, he says question, like kind of, why are we here? What's it all for? Yeah. The struggle, it's so awful. And then he offers this answer, and he says, "So you may contribute a verse." Mm-hmm. And I always love. That. I think it's so important so for glad. us to contribute a verse, yeah. like, in what, like, that's what we're here for. Like, the, yeah. our lives are in the living of our lives. You know, yeah. rising to the occasion of living a life that you know, feels valuable. And in the moment, I think it's not like looking back on it. It's in the daily living yeah. of it. And so I think if you can incorporate those elements of, you know, having those good interactions, of adding value, of, of taking action, not just thinking it, doing it, mm-hmm. and even like living your life kind of according to your values, and of, of questioning assumptions and learning something. A good day is a day you've learned something. And yes. I think even openness to people you disagree with. Like what can you learn from them yeah. in some way and I think we're all in danger of this sort of silo of sameness and yeah. spending time with people who kind of agree with us and, and I I know I'm super guilty of that and always having to remind myself like you know somebody everybody you meet knows something you don't yeah. and to you know again it's sort of like tapping into to something if you're, to your curiosity and I think when we're sort of self-absorbed we forget to be curious and mm-hmm ask people about their own experiences and that's what I love about your podcast it sort of brings out you know uh, you know at least stories and and you can sort of think like wait that makes me think of this like a light bulb goes off it takes you out of yourself and your own head and even somebody else's experience and you think oh maybe I wouldn't do that but it gave me the the idea to do this yeah you know
0: like it's so important to get out of our heads and I think we all want to like if we're all instruments, we want to play off each other. Yes. And we want yes. to be a symphony or a band with each other. And I think if we're all just like walking around with our headphones on and our heads down and our phone, it takes away all of that. And Totally. It's been such a great experience for me being in the city. I think New York does this in a really. Uh, it kind of forces you to interact with people where other places that I've lived haven't because you're kind of in your cars. Yeah. You're going to your, jobs, and you just don't really, you can have blinders on, but here, like, I've been thinking about this a lot today and yesterday, actually, like, it's, it's right in your face, like, it's kind of putting that mirror up in your face, like, people coming up to you and asking you for money, like, I've been, like, keeping dollar bills in my back pocket, just to, like, have, and, um, you know, like, it just puts it up in your face even when you don't want to see it. That yeah. That you have to kind of see it. New York forces that on you in a good way. In a really good yeah. way. Like, this is just kind of like a weird personal story that happened to me this morning. But I was running late. I was, like, going to this early morning bar class. And I'm, like, very in my head of, like, I've got my headphones in. I really want to get there on time. I woke up early. Can't go later. Blah, blah, blah. So I'm, like, in my head. I'm getting there. And there's this girl walking down the street. And there's this dog that, like, doesn't have a leash and is just, like, around. And she's like, do you know whose dog this is? And I'm like, I don't, I'm sorry. And I'm like right. in a hurry. And I, and I just like didn't really stop with her. And I just was kind of like, I'm so sorry. What can I do? And I, this is like embarrassing for me to even tell this. I like kind of tried, but I was like so in my head of like, I gotta get to this class Yeah. that I didn't really help with this dog. And I'm like, and this, I was like, she's got time. She's going to deal with it. Come to find out. I get upstairs. I'm in the bar class. She's next to me. Somehow she, like was just, like, late, came into class, it was fine. She got in there, she was late. But she dealt with the dogs. The whole time during the class, I was in my head of, like, why didn't I stay out there and talk to her? I could have had more empathy. I, I was so in my head. Yeah. And then after I talked to her, and it was fine, and it all worked out. And the dog found the dog. The dog was yeah. fine. Everything's fine. But it was just, like, one of the, it was, like, a homeless person's talk. But the, yeah. that moment of, like, I could have been late for the class. Yeah. When am I going to remember in my life, like, if I made it to that stupid bar class or if I, like, helped this person or helped this dog or, like, that's it really put, like, I didn't want it in that moment. Like, Mm -hmm. I didn't want to connect with the other person in that moment. But Dan said something when he was on the podcast. It's like, those are the moments we need to the most, you know? Completely,
1: and to do that thing where we're, like, going to go against the grain, like, that's mm-hmm. where you don't, like, you need to get out of your head yeah. and think, and, and it's true, I think it's only through those moments, and I think having sometimes those uncomfortable, like, negative, like, you know, and recognizing, like, and regret, and being like, wait a minute, mm-hmm. like, I, I missed that, you yeah. know, but then you know you won't next time, or right. even you might, and we all do, but, like, it's going to be, there will be fewer yeah. examples of them, and it's just, because it is like we just get so lost. And I think it's especially when we feel like that idea of being threatened or late. There was a a study of several years ago looking at um, like I think there were seminary students and they'd been told the story of um, of the of the good of the uh, um, the, the, the good neighbor, the, the biblical story, you know, and you, you, the good Samaritan. Sorry, the good mm-hmm. Samaritan. But then they were told by their professor, like, oh, wait a minute, you guys are all very late. You have to rush across campus. There's this very important bishop meeting you over there. So they all left this class, rushed across campus, and they planted an older woman who had fallen. Mm. And they all rush past her. I mean, not all of them. I think some stop. Wow. I don't have the exact numbers of the study, but it just shows how circumstance and yeah. context can really change how we behave. And you know, you could, I can so relate to that. You mm-hmm. know, of like that sense of lateness of not having time is really powerful. Or being late for yeah. something or somebody is exactly. Uh, it's it's very powerful how kind of context can shape our behavior yeah. in ways that are beyond us
0: yeah which is crazy because if I was just meandering around on a walk by myself I would have spent all the time in the world totally no question but the interesting thing about this particular situation and this particular example is that kind of goes back to what you were talking about before about your own self-care getting in the way of connection which is the most important self-care yeah and I think that that's so true with you know, that's exactly what's happening. Like, my self-care was this exercise class that I thought I needed right. to check my boxes for the day. Yes. But really, what I actually needed would have actually enriched my life is connection with someone. Yeah. And I think I... A lot of people listening are in the wellness sphere, and I, you know, am myself. And I again, I like green juice as much as the next guy, but I also think it's not everything. And yeah. I think there are so many people you know, with orthorexia and with all of these things of, yeah. like, just getting so engrossed in that you have blinders on to relationships and mm-hmm. connection. And even, you know, I, I did this talk at Wonderland about making your life as a whole your masterpiece, not just your body. Yes. And I think that we can have blinders on to these sorts of things. And, and being in a relationship, I think, is really helpful because it... it and just all of your relationships because they forced you to have some flexibility where I know for me like I spent a lot of years a couple years ago being so rigid where Mm -hmm. I was super rigid about my wellness and my work and then everything else struggled Mm -hmm. and recently like in the last year I kind of relaxed in all those areas and just lived my life and suddenly all those areas are also better now too because I did that so just everything you're saying is just so wonderful and going right in.
1: But it's funny that cuz it's I think sometimes it feels safer because it to, like that self-care thing like it actually feels very doable. Like I can actually, you know, yeah. eat this and I can exercise, you know, I can go to that class or like it seems I think there's a sense of control and understanding yeah. control is a big part I think of having like a sense of, you know, when you feel like you can control things, you can feel like a little bit more like resilient and that you're able to shape, you know, mm-hmm. the world in in some way. And I think those areas where we feel a little bit less, um, in control, like with a relationship, it depends on others. you know, you're connected or even, all the good stuff doesn't happen inside us. It happens, you know, beyond us. It's like in between us and other people, in between us and our work, in between us and like our passions or hobbies, like it's all out there. It's not inside, you know? And I really think that it's something that values are really important. It's not saying to like let go of one's values. But it's how can you sort of embed your values into your everyday, Mm. you know, because your values can't just be about self-care. Yeah. You know, in a way, like, so how do you, you know, something I ask people sometimes is, you know, what do you value most or the three things that you value most? And say, you know, my friends or my health or, you know, learning things that would be, you know, being a good person. Mm -hmm. And then say, okay, how do you spend your time? You know, and so it's funny how often, you know, there's not as much overlap as they would kind of hope for in some way. And I think the idea of it not just being on that self-care component that seems so actionable, but it also gives us permission to, like, withdraw into ourselves and away from, like, the world and other people. And it's sort of this license, this passport for self-absorption, Yeah. ultimately. that's kind of a scary place. And I think especially when we're feeling insecure or vulnerable, it's a place to retreat to, and we have this excuse—we have a permission slip to go there. Yeah. Um, but you know, take bubble baths and meditate and do things. There's a—it reminds you me the list, like, yeah, the easy button. It's the—it is the shortcut, yeah. And actually, like I believe the in hack. the long cut. You yeah. know, like t- forget the hack, mm-hmm. take the long cut. You know, that's what's going to be satisfying and rewarding yeah. in some way. I did a um, talk at the Rubin Museum with the. With um, this uh, this Buddhist monk, and he was so lovely, and he told me a story about. I guess it's a famous Buddhist story, and he said there were two monks, an older one and a younger one, walking beside a river, and they come across an older woman who's fallen down, and says, "You know, can you can you um, carry me to the other side?" and um, you know the the younger monk. You're not allowed to touch women. So just you know, shakes his head and says no. You know, and, and, and walks on. And um, the he doesn't realize that the older one has sort of fallen behind it, it, him and has carried her over. And he's astonished. He thinks, why did you why did you carry her? Why did you know that's against our laws that you can't do that? And he's the older one says to the younger one, you know that um, you know you're the one who's still carrying her, I let her go. Mm. And because he, he carried her to the other side, he took the action, even though it was not the something that they're supposed to do, yeah. but something that he needed to do, sort of out of empathy, and just by being a rule follower, doesn't, you know, sort of, or like you're doing something that's sort of, you're just doing the thing that you're told to do, that you regret. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's state like, we still carry those experiences, I think, where we kind of failed to act, or yeah. failed to do that thing that actually expressed our values yeah. in some way and I always think that that's like you yeah. know will I regret this is this going to be a behavior that I'm like that's going to be helpful in this moment and even you know the idea of being able like we have this whole smorgasbord of choices you know there isn't like one response so to in, in different moments different ones work and just by basing them on the past or what we know or what somebody else you um, know you know told us to do doesn't necessarily function, you know. Maybe in this moment, like, what's going to be the best one right now yeah. for this situation? And I think we're so actually emotionally agile and adaptable that we we can we're, we're much better at figuring that out than we think, and not just yeah. following that script.
0: Yeah. Oh man. First of all, you are so wise, and you're so good at recalling oh. <laughs> stories oh, <no. laughs> and studies and facts. It's like so great to be around. Thank you. Like, Thank you. And you're so articulate. Um, I want to go back to your story a little bit so you're you've that you want to go back to school study positive psychology how did you even know that that existed how did you discover that
1: I didn't know a, a patient had given me a book by Martin Seligman that was called I think flourish that was so good and unputdownable and sort of exactly the opposite of everything I had studied you know in medical school and he had come he's a well-known, famous psychologist who had worked with B.F. Skinner in the 60s and on behaviorism and learned helplessness, this idea that, that, you know, if you kind of couldn't control things in your life, that you could um, become almost like a, a dog that's being shocked um, uh, unpredictably, that you would then just sort of give up. And that was a model for depression. And he returned in like the late 90s, and that was learned helplessness. What about learned optimism? You know, can you actually teach optimism? Can you teach happiness? Can you teach um, you know, health and wellness and resilience and those questions? So I stumbled upon his work, and then I started like, sort of diving into it, and it turned out there was a whole, there was all, lots of research in this domain. I mean, not as much as there is in depression you know, at all. I mean, mm-hmm. fully eclipsed by, by mental illness. And um, because psychiatry is the study of mental illness, I mean that's what it has become, and only illness, and not really looking at the other side of things. And um, and so I, I found there's this all this research and all these studies, and I thought, my goodness, this is not anything I ever learned or thought about. I, I you know looking into. Um, studies on on exercise and how therapeutic that was for depression I didn't learn this I, you know I went into psychiatry with like the big questions in life like what's it all mean you know what's a meaningful life and you know within a few months and you know the question becomes you know how many milligrams should I double the dose you know so you yeah. kind of quickly get into that mindset of something much narrower and so there was a, and I just felt the need to kind of share this information so I created this blog then with positive prescriptions because so I thought like this is gold. People need to know this. Like, I, you know, I'm a psychiatrist and I don't know this stuff, but I this thought is I, when you were in school. This was just before I went to school, so then I realized I could formally study this oh, at cool. the University of Pennsylvania, and so I applied to the program. And it was really eye-opening in every way. Incredible people um, and an incredible program, and they they taught us a lot. And it was just rethinking everything i thought i knew Mm -hmm. and i was sort of a self-appointed expert in a lot of stuff and i clearly realized you know there's so much that i don't know and it was so liberating to say i don't know but i can look it up you know and 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 to like sort of rethink a lot of assumptions i had about mental health Mm -hmm. and mental illness and um and about myself about my patients not kind of jumping to conclusions i was really good always like i could spot a patient who was in the waiting room or in the emergency room and basically by, by not knowing anything about them I could tell you, I could predict like what, what was going on with them you know, what the issue would be what they, whether or not they would need admission and I, I've sort of learned to let those assumptions go and I love to be wrong mm-hmm. you know. and even like sometimes when I do have these assumptions like it, it, it's so, so liberating to be like I got that wrong but I learned something, you know, like, not, you know, I don't want to make a mistake with anybody, but like, you know, I might want to jump to a conclusion or look at somebody and feel like, oh no, I couldn't help this person or this person looks like they're, you know, beyond um, anything I could do for them. And the the joy of being wrong is great, you Mm -hmm. know, because you learn something about other people too and and not kind of just falling back into those assumptions we
0: have and we judge people and letting go of that. So it sounds like it really changed your patients' lives, as well as your own, this new perspective, and that led to your blog growing to this amazing platform yes. that it is now, and your newsletter. Can you talk about when? how many years ago were you in the program, and how did it expand to where it is now? Um, it was about... F- four and a half years ago I guess I started it and just really out of a pure love I mean we're
1: talking about kind of hobbies like I just thought I had to share this stuff Yeah, you're and again I had like a good friend and I, who was like you have to create your own thing and it was Tori Birch and she said to me first come and write for my blog which I started doing but I was so self-conscious about it I thought I can't do this and she said no no more than doing it for mine you're going to do your own Mm -hmm. and so I didn't even know how to do this and she really helped me kind of get that going and it's again like this you know people in your life I think who are kind of headwinds or tailwinds you know and I think to kind of have good friends who kind of help you see possibilities that you can't even see for yourself. And it's so much easier to just kind of stay on that little like habit trail, like treadmill and just kind of keep doing what you're doing and not look up. Mm -hmm. Like, wait, this is something I'm so passionate about. Can I actually create like a more more formal platform? And people like sort of liked it. And then I thought I could create this newsletter and be able to share this gold that was out there, all this information in really Mm -hmm. actionable interesting ways um and that never I didn't want it to be ever bossy or you know to make people feel badly like you're not juicing 10 times a day you know or you're not doing this you know I, there's no hope for you just to make it um something that was accessible mm. and really actionable in a way that not yeah. just was something you could think about but do it or be like oh that's not for me but maybe maybe it's the way I could it's cocktail conversation I could talk to somebody about this and laugh yeah. about it but just to, to open people up, and I think I've had a lot of really smart readers who who you know, who maybe have taken it in some way or tweaked it on their own, and I think there's no kind of blueprint or snake oil for wellness or health. I mean, it's a, a many, many different things, and it's different for everybody at different points in their life, but I think it's really helpful to, um, you know, to hopefully have some of this information and I think then like I get feedback from people who are reading it and they're like oh do something on this or this is something I read about what do you think and, and I, I get sort of so inspired by other people's ideas yeah. all the time and it's not um, it's a dynamic process that yeah. I, I love doing so yeah. it's fun
0: well you've done all of those things it really is so accessible and fun to read and well designed and it's, it's really great it's doing all the things I think you set out for it to do which is great. Do you have a goal for it for the future of what you hope that it becomes? I think you need a podcast.
1: <laughs> I would love that. I would you're love so that. You're so articulate
0: and you're such a good speaker. Oh, you're very, good. I'll be like the Tory out. Birch right now. You can use mine right now, but then you need your own. No, but it's funny.
1: So, because I used to get so nervous when I would speak publicly and truly, you know, and people give you that terrible advice, like, calm down. You'll be great. Like, it'll be fine, you know, and it's really not good advice. And so, one of the um, studies I'd found though was you know showing people instead of telling them to calm down or chill out or you'll be great is you know just instead of looking at something as as fear because it's really interpretation mm-hmm. see it as excitement or enthusiasm like that's mm-hmm. what your body's doing right now like you yeah. know that that maybe if your heart rate's going or your blood pressures going or you feel a little bit sweaty like maybe it's excitement or enthusiasm and it's how you read things and I, so I I used to get nervous, and when I would stand up, like, at a podium, I just also would think, like, what would Barbara Walters do right now? Yeah. And she was always my go-to person. I don't know why Barbara Walters was my go-to person and not, you know... very right poised. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I just... I was so, like, There was something just sort of calm and, yeah. you know, maternal. I don't know about, like, her presence, and I thought... You know, I can just channel my inner Barbara Walters. What would she do? She'd slow down. She would, like, say something. That's been my go-to, you know, my version of being on me in those moments is
0: (laughs) what would Barbara Walters do? (laughs) Yeah, it goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning with having that mentor, that anchor. And I think that I have so many mentors from afar that I haven't even met that I just have in the back of my mind of, like, what would they do in this moment? Or you just it starts to seep in the more people that you follow or you listen to. And I think that's healthy and, and really good. And of all ages
1: too, yeah. you know, of like having people in the, the, the wisdom and having people like having friends, truly friends who are much older, you know, than, than you are and who have different perspectives and who you can really go to for advice and, and just input about decisions and, and i think instead of doing that deep dive into oneself when sort of one gets to an inflection point to sort of ask them what they would do because mm-hmm. yes life has changed and you know careers and have changed and, and relationships have changed but there's still some fundamental i think you know when you ask people who are you know in their 80s and 90s like what do they regret most what did they what were they wish that they'd done more what are the um, you know what kind of decisions they made it's all the same. Yeah. You know, in a way, like they, you know, most people say they wish they'd traveled more, that they had said yes to sort of seemingly scary experiences, you know, that they had been nicer, that they yeah. reached out. All those little things, like they had a little more empathy in moments yeah. for themselves and others. They'd
0: help the dog and not run into their bar class. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, this has been amazing. I want to get to the questions that I ask everyone, but I have a, just a couple more questions specifically for you so I want to just talk about two things and maybe we can kind of loop this into to one answer I'm doing like the opposite of what Terry Gross says you should do with asking questions I'm like looping this into one but overwhelm we've talked about quite a bit and Mm -hmm. anxiety and I would love if you could give kind of a positive prescription for those two things I know that for me with overwhelm I can feel Like I'm a master of none where I do so many different things. I'm not doing Mm -hmm. any of them that well. And almost this paralysis of I'm not going to do anything because there's so much I could be doing. And then that causes anxiety. So those are two kind of words we hear a lot. Could you just kind of talk about those and what you're seeing and what we can do to kind of feel better? Well, I think that that kind of paralysis by
1: analysis is what you're talking about too. And it does feel so... um, you know, I think when we've got that barrage of the daily hassle stuff kind of we're talking about, when yeah. you're just feeling just mowed down, like you just don't even know where to come up for air and nothing sort of, everything's urgent, everything feels important, mm-hmm. you know? And, and you end up actually just put, putting out the fires that feel more urgent than important. Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. cancel the dinner plans with your friend, you don't show up to her birthday yeah. like you, you know, because you're putting out little fires in some way. So I actually think kind of getting control, like having a sense of control over your time, is really important and it's really hard to do but as we're saying like even in those little micro moment ways if you're in between um like if you're walking to go pick up your lunch somewhere or you are you know getting on the subway if you're doing something that's when like just put like your phone away if you can do like those little things to just kind of maybe that's when you are going to take some of your daydreaming time you're going to be a little bit bored you're going to look around you and see something i think those and if you can schedule your time the end of each day also so you're sort of look at the stuff you've actually done we're really good at remembering all the stuff we didn't do like oh i didn't do this i didn't do that look at the stuff you did and you know even like write them down if you can or just in a little list Mm -hmm. and then what are the three things you're going to try to do tomorrow and what's the one you're going to start with and circle it so you're not having that kind of even so then when you are at home or you're with your partner or you're doing something you're not having that like distracted brain that's sort of affecting i think your interaction then yeah. and i think that sense of scheduled time i really do try to kind of you know if i'm working on something to time chunk things mm-hmm. too like to do like 45 minutes of this or an hour of this and to make email the last thing i check you know like it's not the first thing i check in the morning so it's just the I think it just because you're immediately on defense, then like all these things yeah. I missed or I didn't do, and also like with with social media, like with Instagram or Twitter, like I've been on a bit of an Instagram vacation recently, and it's been really good. I've been reading a book instead, yeah. you know, like I from cover to cover. It's on it's um because you must change your life, and it's about Rilke and his relationship with Rodin. It's so good, oh, cool. it's amazing. Rodin was like in his sixties, Rilke was in his twenties. He needed some money. And he went to Paris to go and write sort of a monograph on this older sculptor. He was unknown, Rilke, at the time. And they developed this incredible sort of mentor-mentee relationship. And it's when he wrote the letters to a young poet. But there's... I mean, sort of the ultimate in self-help is Rilke, you know, yeah. who becomes that. But but it's given me the, the time to do that. And I don't think anyone's ever going to sort of wake up, you know, or be on their deathbed and say, I wish I'd spent more time on Instagram. Yeah. You know, and to even therapeutically like go through those accounts like are there some ones that make you feel bad are there ones that like you know what's not adding value unfollow them you know and even you know with our daily dose of news I mean it's been you know just catastrophic and getting worse and worse, and there's a lot of reason to believe in evidence around how like corrosive the news is, and, and watching it, and it's not even like you're just watching like the way our grandparents did, like the six o'clock news, it's like you're getting it all day long. right? And so I think being able to kind of turn that stuff off, and yeah. maybe giving yourself, you know, if it is, I have one patient who just said, you know what, I'm all my social media, sort of news feeds, are shut off. I'm buying the newspaper again and I'm reading it. And I'm also then relying on an editor to make a decision rather than me just reading the stuff that I yeah. want. So I'm not just kind of falling down that rabbit hole of my own interests. And I think it's really a good idea. Yeah. You know, to do that. those things like maybe go old school and yeah. buy, you know, a newspaper and yes. don't get your news just sort of nonstop. It's like drivel. Yeah. It's really, I think,
0: fueling people's sense of anxiety yeah. as well. You just hit on so many things I also wanted to ask you, which is about the news cycle, so many things. This was such an organic, great conversation that all the notes I wanted to okay. hit have just been like hit naturally, so this is great. I want to um, wrap up with my quick-fire questions that I ask everyone, so just say kind of the first few things that come to mind. Some will be quicker, some will be longer. But with feminism, how do you define feminism, being a woman who's so respected in your field— and so talented how has that being a woman played a role in where you are now and what does being a feminist look like for you?
1: I mean I think being a feminist is sort of about kind of reaching out to others and I think having mentors and mentees and maybe that being a totally fluid relationship you know I think I I mean I hope that um that like, that I will always be learning, I mean, I, think I, I learned, I really have mentors who are in their 20s, you know, and I, I think, you know, I've got a friend who's 80 that I think I'm sometimes, like, a bit of a mentor to, and she, you know, it, but it goes back and forth and the fluidity of those relationships, yeah. and I think that is, like, having each other's backs, you know, and being there and showing up and, and nudging, and I think of Tori, or, you know, like, saying, like, you can do this, like, mm-hmm. you've got this, you know, and I think that's kind of at the heart of a lot of this, it is, like, you know getting rid of that self-comparison and that one-upmanship and um, realizing it's not a zero-sum game, you know, we can all be here and we all deserve this place at the table and we can all, like, if we define our success by how many other people we've helped succeed, like, that's good news for
0: feminism, yeah. you, know, you know, for helping women. Oh, I love that. Okay, so we talk a lot about body image on this podcast, again, with being a woman, woman and it's how I got into therapy was through my relationship with my body and eating disorder, So have you ever struggled with body image as a woman and being in health and wellness in the field that you're in, how do you help people and yourself handle these thoughts and what I call a bad body image day? How do you Mm -hmm. not let that become a bad body image week or month? What are some like positive prescriptions for that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think so, I never realized how much what you eat really affects how you think you know, like that kind of, that was really a wake-up call for me that I didn't realize that, you know, that that sense of even like the late-night eating habits. And I I really, you know, I have, I have struggled, you know, with that type of thing. And, you know, when you're in medical school, you eat garbage all the time, and you just, like, drink coffee and and, and take terrible care of yourself like that. Which like, is so and,
0: crazy because of the people trying to... Like, the ultimate irony. T- yeah.
1: I mean, you couldn't be, like, sort of, like, I would, like, you know, find, like, an old donut in my pocket, you know, and eat that. Like, it's just disgusting. And never, like, thinking twice about, like, the hypocrisy. You know, I'd be telling, like, these heart patients, like, you should really eat a healthy diet. You know, But but the idea of how that affected, and it does, and I, I know when I, you know, I love, like, sweets and chocolate and all that stuff, but it's it's been a process for me of, like, kind of getting rid of the things that I know don't make me feel good, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it's really important to kind of take a look at, like, the, your consumption of, of things and be like, wait a minute, if I eat this right now, am I going to feel, like, not guilty, I don't want you to ever feel guilty, but yeah. is this the way, like is it you know is it going to affect how i sleep tonight or am i going to just feel really full and gross in an hour you know and those moments though instead where i think you can never not like never deny yourself but just like be like i'm going to have tea instead or just wait 10 minutes that ability to kind of let something pass that like you know ultimately won't make you feel strong and i think we owe it to ourselves and our bodies to feel strong and i think more than ever and so to kind of be responsible for our bodies in a way that that um because it's our bodies and our minds and I also think even for others like w- when we're like grumpy because we overate something or we you know or we, we haven't eaten enough mm-hmm. you know you're hungry and they call it like you know when you're hungry and you're angry you're much more likely to kind of have a negative interaction with somebody so I- again like I think it's like do it for yourself do it for others you know yeah, and oh, and it's um and and I mean people are always like oh, just yourself first yourself first but like
0: important to do it for them, too, you know? Yeah. What about when someone or yourself is having a bad body image day, Mm -hmm. what I call, like, you wake up in the morning and you're fine, but, like, a weird look in a window at lunch Uh, and you suddenly you've gained 57 pounds and you look, you know, just, like, it's clearly just mental. Like, how do you handle shifting that perception of yourself?
1: Well, you know, I, fan, maybe, like, I, I sound really, um, maybe unconventional, but sometimes, you know clothes matter sometimes I think to us and sometimes they can help us feel really strong and that's not a bad thing and I think we sort of sometimes dismiss fashion as super, really superficial or like oh who cares how you feel or you know who cares what you wear but it does matter sometimes and I think that's those moments like when i'm I mean in the middle of the day I'm not going home to change but it's like I always think wear something that makes you feel strong yeah and there are clothes that also sometimes are armor for us there are clothes that can make us feel sort of sexy or better in some way and i think it's like sometimes if you like have like spanks on it actually just you don't feel sexy yeah in, you know in, in some way that you look like there are clothes that i know that would be like an interview thing like a, like a you know dress or wear or something that you know i stand a little taller in mm-hmm. you can call me superficial if that's the case but like that's okay (laughs) you know because if I'm going to wear something it's like the ultimate armor for me like I'm going to wear something that I know helps me feel strong and then I can be Barbara Walters and I can you know channel that and um you know rather than something that feels a little too tight or a little bit too like it just doesn't fit quite right or uncomfortable that that I I find that there's incredible therapeutic power sometimes
0: in the right dress I'm so glad you brought that up because I wrote that down in my notes because I heard you speak about that on Refinery29 oh yeah yeah and that again was like a watershed moment for me too, because I think it's really, really valuable. And just intuitively, I've known that you know you have the outfit that you feel good in, and you know, it works, and you always gravitate towards that on a big day.
1: Yes, and maybe and get rid of the stuff exactly, that you don't feel I good in. You know, somebody else might like that. Somebody else will fit into it better. And you know, like maybe it's also part of getting older too. Is like you know. Your body changes a little bit, and yeah. even like style does too. And even something I might have worn like a few years ago that's still in my closet that you know, like you know what, that's it's just too short for me. And like I know somebody in her twenties will look awesome in this. You know that yeah. there's something about kind of that catharticness of like evolving. Like we change, our taste changes, yeah. our clothes change, and kind of giving yourself permission to say like it's okay. Sometimes like a good dress really matters. <laughs> you yes. know,
0: absolutely. I completely agree with that. And a lot of people who listen to this podcast. I think because they're attracted to it because of my story, have been in eating disorder recovery mm-hmm. or have, you know, gone through that. And just like you said, women and just people in general, our bodies change as we get older. And I think it's I talk about this and I wrote an article about this for Refinery Twenty Nine, about how jarring it is to put on something that doesn't fit mm-hmm. and that can take anyone out. Mm. Just because it's a jarring experience that you're maybe not expecting. Yeah. And so just to take that out of your life so you can make things easier, it's kind of like going back to put the hamper in front of you. Take the stuff out of you. Make things easier. Well,
1: you know, and like minimize, this older friend of mine said to me, just minimize irritation. Like, don't Mm. have those skinny jeans in the, your closet, like get rid of them because yeah. they're mocking you every time you open it. You know, and it just make, makes you feel bad about like oh I used to, and the idea that I'm going that's my goals to fit into those again. Let it go. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's really nice to give yourself permission to like kind of let go of some of those things and just let go of those clothes that don't make you feel strong. Yeah. It's almost like that that Maria Kondo book, like the art of the magic of sort of tidying up. It. You know, like get rid of that mm-hmm. stuff that isn't elevating not yeah and it doesn't actually make you feel strong I think with your clothes because yeah. clothes really can I mean suddenly when that those pants are too
0: tight or that you know it just doesn't feel right anymore let it go yeah totally okay something else I love asking people because it gives me like a window into their lives so what are your morning routines maybe the first three things you do when you wake up in the morning and how that affects the rest of your day like I'm super vigilant I do not sleep with my phone in my room like oh. I'm
1: that's it's not my alarm clock. I tell it to all my patients too, and friends who will ever like you know bother to you know listen. Is that the idea of having your phone in your by your bedside is a terrible idea? And so I like get an old fashioned alarm clock, stick a battery in it, so it's not the first thing that like I touch in the morning. Like it can't be because I know it will immediately set off too many bells, and I'll be you know checking my email mm-hmm. and seeing what happened in the news and in the world. Um, so no phone until I basically, like, brush my teeth and have my coffee, and I always make a point just to kind of, like, somehow, like, put my hand on my husband's shoulder or something, so he has to be, like, the first thing I make contact with, he's sleeping, but, like, you know, like, it has to be that connection in some way that, like, I'm connected, I love him, there's something, you know, like, he's my priority in some way before I kind of get out and and go and brush my teeth, and, and I've got to have my coffee, try i mean these days i'm really trying i'm actually reading reading a newspaper again i'm not getting my news through other sources and um i my favorite um things i spend time with in the morning um other than my children of course um but are my two stress balls my dogs so those actually are my unbelievably therapeutic sort of element and i go into the park with them and that is
0: how my
1: routine it's heaven
0: how many kids do you have i have two Aww. and how many dogs
1: Two. Well, the third one who's so lovely. She's getting very old. so She doesn't go on our walk with me, but it's so two who walk with me. The third one is, is, is she's not moving very much, but she's, she's a lovely piece of, like, she's a beautiful black Labrador and full of love and wags Aww. a very grateful tail, but she's not walking.
0: Aww. She's
1: not on that bit.
0: Oh, man. Um, what about the end of the day? How do you wind down? What are the last few things you do before you go to sleep?
1: I've got, I get rid of my phone you know, before that it lives, you know, in a completely separate area, um, where I make my kids I just got my eleven year old a phone, which I think I'm regretting. Um, but he was like the last kid in this class to get one. And, you know, I spent time with my husband. We 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 talk, you know, and yeah. no more news like before bed and because we used to do that and I think it's just been toxic and we talk. Like we really it's it's really um nice. My kids were in camp for a few weeks and it was just so nice to actually reconnect and and get away from some of that busyness of a yeah. day and, and kind of reconnect and kind of rem- remember why you like each other. And it's nice to spend time like that. And a woman once said to me, instead of, um, you know, sort of assuming so much about your significant other, like, try to think of, like, three things that's new about them every mm-hmm. day. Like, what's new? Instead of, like, here we go again, because we're so quick to, like, habituate to stuff. Yeah. And it sticks with me. So I always think of, like, what are three things yeah. that are different, you know, rather than, than jumping to, like, you know, that sort of the sameness. What are three things that are new? And I, I find that to be kind of helpful to think about, yeah. too, before bed, um, that I really enjoy sort of thinking about. And I often read, too. I mean, I've yeah. been reading this great book, and I love getting lost in a book. Yeah. So good. How did
0: you meet your husband?
1: <laughs> Through a friend, you know. There's, like, so many things, maybe old school
0: kind of yeah. connections happen but through a friend yeah. oh, I love that so there's so many more things I want to ask you but I want you to be able to get back to your husband and your kids and go home because it's been already a long Monday but just say your greatest lesson in these next couple of categories and it can just be like one word or a sentence or however long you want to be greatest lesson on relationships
1: oh I would say just Humor,
0: you gotta laugh.
1: Like you've got to, like you've got to see the humor in everything. And I think we forget
0: that. Greatest lesson on family: show up. Greatest lesson on parenting: what can your kids teach you?
1: Mm. They they know a lot more, and they kind of I think remind us to get back to our... like to have that that joyful curiosity, just joy in things. My daughter once made me skip down the street, oh. and I just thought. Like, wait, that's so embarrassing. Like, I'm not skipping, you know, for three blocks. And it was the most inherently, like, joyful thing I've ever done. And it's, like, funny how, like, your body can sometimes, like, affect how you feel. Like, that's why they skip.
0: You know, there's something
1: just... Nobody skips. Like, no adults skip. It looks weird, you know. People will think you're weird. But just let it go. It's so... Like, I I, defy, you. like, just skip without smiling. Like, you cannot not smile when you're skinny it's the yeah. most like like just connection like you just immediately
0: like have this like huge smile
1: it's I really good you got a, they got a lot to teach us
0: greatest lesson on spirituality or where are you with spirituality god what happens when we die all
1: that it's actually something i've been really thinking about recently with just mortality um and a friend of mine who's writing about it and you know the i just i believe I think spirituality is really important and I think for, for, for kids for us um, to have something that I think like we believe in that's bigger than ourselves in mm-hmm. some way and um, I think it's individual what people sort of practice or what they do and where you know I was raised and um, I sort of have my own sort of version of spirituality that I think I connect um, to if I don't I mean, I don't go to church really anymore as much as I'd like to. But whenever I do, I really just sort of just feel connected in a different way. And I enjoy, I enjoy that. Um, so I I think it it really is valuable. And it's, again, something we've forgotten about. And when I did that pen program at Penn, they asked us to go to a, a service that's one that you're not really familiar with as much. And it was just really interesting. Like, do you're know, just allowing for other people's religions too instead of being open to that and I, I think mm-hmm. that we have a lot to learn from other people's spirituality as well Yeah, you know
0: and yeah. again that kind of openness like my way isn't the only way yeah you know? sure okay so off the top of your head you're having a dinner party who are some people that you would invite and what do you hope people ask you about that you want to talk about and what do you not want to talk about I don't
1: want to talk about politics at all I'm so over that <laughs> please like that would be my nightmare I'd love to talk about philosophy, um, and uh, as I'm reading this book, I think Rilke and Rodin would be really great. Barbara Walters. Um, oh my gosh, definitely mm-hmm. Barbara Walters. I would love to have you there. Yes. <laughs> that would be awesome. Um, and uh, I just think some, you know, I, I'm fascinated like by like just fearless women, like Amelia Earhart. You know, like that would be incredible, like Eleanor Roosevelt. Um, that that could just tell these stories um, that I think that are, are that are human stories, too, um, and that would sort of overlap. I mean, I think the artists, the creative, um, oh, I think Edith Wharton would have to be there in some capacity. Tori love her Tori. Tori's a given, yes. Um, and I think just sort of inspiring, awesome women and men too I mean I'm not saying not yeah. to I would have Rilke and Rodin there but um, uh, maybe you know I'm fascinated by those artist minds like Jeff Koons like you know somebody like that who even like you know does and like and, and, and like Sarah Say I love uh, a woman artist and she's incredible um, so uh, anything but politics what would you cook for them or what would you eat what would what would be the food at this party I couldn't cook this because I can't cook it well, but I would do that, that fish in salt it's my favorite thing. When you Ooh, bake, amazing. like, it's like a sea bass in salt. Ooh. It's so good. I wish I could do it. It's like that kind of perfect Mediterranean thing. Ooh. And then you crack the salt, and the uh, it's, like, basically like a shell, oh and, gosh, you that, like, right and you have the fish. You just right put now. olive oil on it. It's so It's, like, it's 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 pure heaven. Oh, my gosh. I think yeah. that and, like, fresh tomatoes and, and sort of Greek salad. Yeah. That would be, God. like, heaven and, like, raspberries and whipped cream for dessert. Ooh, yes. Yeah, um, And I think, like well, you know, I, I sort of want to get heavy and talk about kind of the meaning of life and, yeah. you know, kind of what are we here for? And like those are kind of a, like original questions that, um, that, that are important to address, yeah. you know? I, I would love that. And sort of how, how they think of success, how they think of adding value, you know? And, um, you know, what, what matters at the end of the day? You know, because at the end of the day, I do think it's the daily stuff. you know it's the daily actions and interactions and the you know those pebbles and those micro moments you know of of things that are like either like life enhancing or diminishing and we have all these people come to me at like big inflection points but I actually think we have all these inflection points at all the time that we can you know take these opportunities to kind of capitalize on
0: yeah
1: and it's about those like kind of the reaching out and getting above oneself and beyond oneself um That I'd be really interested in
0: yeah what's the best thing you've eaten in the last week
1: oh goodness um I love to eat oh uh what's the best thing I've eaten oh I had some amazing like just kind of um beautiful beets that were fresh Mm, that were cut up that I love like just beautiful stripes and there were there were were the yellow ones and the red ones that played like drizzled with olive oil it made me so happy. I love nuts also. Me too. So, uh, what kind of nuts do you like? All of them. You, me too. Me too. I like, remember, I live on I them. Like I think that. I think I'm, was, like, definitely like a squirrel in my, yeah, like, past same. life. Like, <laughs> then, okay, then, okay. then We're spirit animals. <gasps> oh, like so a moon good. juice. I'm obsessed oh, with Oh, my gosh. Oh, I have I my, have like, stash of my moon juice stuff here.
0: Oh, my gosh. Me too. I, I love, love all the powders. They're my favorite. And her nuts are amazing. Yes. yes. Have you had oh, the pumpkin seeds? No. They... They have these like pumpkin seeds with, like chili and lime.
1: I have I had them. those. I have
0: them here. Those They're are so good. good.
1: They are and the the, the hazelnuts
0: of chocolate thing. Um, so that's good. like my
1: go to like indulgence. Yeah. Love oh, that's that. So
0: good. Um, okay, last thing. So this is really just a way to recommend things. So pretend you're stranded on a deserted island and you can take with you one person, one book, one movie, and one food. Oh my and gosh! One music thing.
1: Okay, I'd take berries with me because I love yeah. all four.
0: Favorite I mean, berry?
1: Oh, I'd say a really good blackberry. Too. That. like the oh ones that God. are like
0: sort of soft yes like the, the yes. ones that are too hard are like garbage They're just like sour and weird. yeah yeah the ones that are like a little bit soft so good
1: and I guess I don't get any whipped cream on that island but mm-hmm. if I did it's I would my, my it. island you can take whipped cream um <laughs> oh my gosh for books I'd say I love this book I've actually got to on my desk called Influence that's so good by Robert Cialdini that I, I still go back to and read all the time and if not that I love I just I got through a little life recently it's you know a little life is like a doorstop of a book and it was this wonderful book written by a woman whose name i can't remember but it's about four men actually but i love that it's written for this woman wrote it and she was able to conjure these different lives and it's just amazing fiction um fiction but it's just i'm fascinated by her like i need to know more about her and Mm. uh that she could kind of come up with this story of this arc of their lives, because it sort of starts with them just after college and follows them through the arc of their lives, and one of them has a really kind of sad, sad story that you really, that you sort of get deeper and deeper into, and sort of the, the, the subversive novel in a way, because you, at the end of it, it's not that, it's it's hard, and it's hard, heavy be going, and you know, by page 800 or whatever, 750, you're sort of still hanging on, it's one of those books that you're sort of grieving when you put it down, yeah. That, But it it doesn't have that story of redemption or that sort of heroic, like, oh, and then everything was okay. You know, it actually sort of tells more of a story of, like, life's really hard and things are tough and friends help, therapy probably won't. And, um, you know, (laughs) in the end of the day, like, nothing, you know you can't always escape the things that happen to you. And I think it's sort of it's a bit of a like rebuke for a psychiatrist too, of like all these like sort of interventions, what can we do and the hacks and the you know, what are the little things and like sometimes just the the acceptance of stuff also that was kind of poetic in that. Of like sometimes it's just the way it is. Yeah. You know? That was kind of beautiful and and, and moving and there's so much I read it on a Kindle because it was just too heavy to read. But Um, it was co- you know all the highlights and that I cannot yeah. wait to go back and read that yeah um, so that was good so what about movie and music oh gosh M- music oh I guess I kind of just love I mean I, I always will go back to U2 somehow I mean mm-hmm. I love that but I, like, I love like pop music too though so I put, that, maybe I'll get sick of that but I love you 2 and um, what was the other one um
0: movie a movie
1: Oh, um hmm
0: it can be something you love or something you like saw recently
1: yeah i think i haven't seen movies in so i've just like not again like i've kind of taken my time back in a way yeah. and like sometimes i feel like i've lost myself in a movie um that that was like just that didn't the, like you know sometimes it has to be like really good and not that kind of waste of, of of time mm-hmm. in a way that I feel like I, I like time is so valuable yeah. and like it's not like someone said to me it's not like how you're spending your time it's how you're spending your choices are you doing things that are kind of meaningful to you in some way um, so I I think I'd probably just have to kind of go back to um, like a, a movie of like one of the sort of moving stories and I did see ages ago that movie called Rudy. It was like a, basically, it's like a, about a, like a football player oh, yeah, who yeah. doesn't. I had to watch that so in school. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And, and I remember, like, great. it was just like a good. It was just so like a story of like you can't do it, and yes, yeah. you can. Oh, it's
0: such a good movie. I yeah. love that movie. I love yeah. that. I want to show that to my kids. Now. The name of the podcast is "Let It Out." So, is there anything else that you feel like you want people to know, or that you wish I would have asked you? um No, I just am so
1: grateful to be included. I love what you're doing. I love the love you're spreading, and it's just beautiful to I think like kind of be be generously sharing it. I mean, you're elevating all of us with with you. So thank you. What a pleasure so to be much. here. Mm-hmm
0: there you have it that was my episode with dr samantha boardman i hope you liked it as much as i did i had such a great time recording that and i can't wait to hear what you guys think if you're in the facebook group let me know if you want to be in the facebook group join it's just a place where listeners can talk to each other and me and we can talk about the episodes and it's one of my favorite places on the internet so join that if you like this podcast share it with a friend blast it from your speakers and leave a review on itunes maybe that would be great Thank you so much to Lbox, one of our sponsors. You know Lbox; They deliver you organic, high-quality period care products and also period products that make you experience your period with more ease and joy, and I love them. And you can actually get your first box absolutely free by going to lbox.com slash katie or following the link in the show notes and using the code katie at checkout. So you might as well check them out. Also, huge thank you to Nudu. They're one of my favorite skincare brands. They use the best, most high quality natural ingredients. You can actually tell when you're using them, when you're putting them on your skin by how they make your skin feel. It feels like a facial every time you use them. They have products for specific skin types and they come with a cognac sponge which is really really cool. So go to nudu.com. That's n-u-d-u.com, and they have a special offer for you, which is 20% off your order. So that's 20% off your order using the code Let It Out. That's the name of the show, Let It Out, at checkout. That gets you 20% off, which is really a lot of percent off. So check it out, and you can get. A hundred percent of your money back because they have a sixty-day guarantee. So if you don't like it, you can get your money back. There's nothing to lose. Check them out, newdo.com. Twenty percent off with the code. Let it out. Okay, that's everything. Thank you guys so much for listening. I can't wait to talk to you next week. Until then, the emoji for this week's episode is the squirrel. It's really cute. I'm not sure if they redid it recently, but the squirrel's adorable and. We mentioned the squirrel at the end of this episode when we talked about nuts so go nuts send me the squirrel have a great week love you bye